0: Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. On behalf of Pastors David and Nicole Binion, thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church. Now, let's listen to today's message. Oh, what a beautiful day, guys. Who just got just messed up during worship in the best way possible. Man, we could call it a day and head over to In-N-Out or Gloria's or something. Oh, what a beautiful day. Pastor David, I just got to say, I too cried in first grade as well, but it lasted for like three months every day. And I may have cried when I was 21 years old and my mom dropped us off in Redding, California. I may have cried then too. So I should have kept that to myself though. (laughs) Oh, guys! Well, good morning. It's an honor to continue uh, just speaking into the DNA of this house. I believe there's been a uh, a paradigm shift in our culture here at Dwell. You know, we I put it this way: there's an 18 inch journey between your head and your heart, and it takes time for a revelation to get from your head to your heart. There's there's time. There it's almost like exercise. So I believe we have made an 18-inch journey these last 21 days. Prayer has always been a part of us, but it's it's a part of us now. It's like the DNA, it's ingrained in our DNA. And how many of you know we we communicate to heaven what we value by what we are willing to pay a price for. Yes. We communicate a message to heaven by what we're willing to lay on the altar. Yes. And, and what fasting and prayer does, I believe, is it is almost like these lights that are flashing on a landing strip in a dark storm that communicates a message to Jesus that You can land here. You can descend here. As he looks off the balcony of heaven, where can I look? He sees this flashing light in Allen, Texas that says, we want you here. We communicate to heaven what we value through prayer and fasting. I believe that is not only a one-time thing, but this is a continual thing that we will continue to give ourselves to. You know, there's, There's a difference between what's in my account and what's in my possession. And I believe what prayer does, prayer is the transaction of heaven that moves what is in my heavenly account into my hand, into my possession. And I wanna suggest we have a lot more in our possession now than we did 21 days ago. There's a difference, your account and your possession. Prayer is what moves heaven from your account into your possession. You know, the standard, Jesus gives us a standard for prayer. And it's not really Jesus, it's Paul in First Thessalonians, but I believe it's Jesus through Paul. And the standard is pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. It's not pray when you have, when you have trouble, pray when you're... Uh, at the end of yourself, although we should, it is pray without ceasing. And I heard a story of a pastor. He was um, living in a in a small town, a rural town, and he was living in an older house. And in this house, his water heater was on the complete opposite side of his house than what his bedroom was at. And so he liked to take shower, hot showers in the morning as most of us do, and so, It would take so long when he got up in the morning to to turn the hot water on. It would take so long for the hot water to get from the water heater all the way to his shower. And so what he did is he ended up, before he went to bed, he would turn the hot water knob on just a little as it was dripping, 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 dripping. So when he woke up in the morning, he would have instant hot water. And I believe that is what best illustrates what it means to pray without ceasing because we never know when we're gonna need that hot water of prayer in our lives. We never know when we're going to need that instant hot water. We never know when the bill's going to come, when, when that unexpected, when someone calls us with, uh, they need healing in their bodies, we need to be constant in that place of prayer. So, so in times like these, a corporate gathering, I believe the hot water is just on full blast. But when we walk out of here, keep that trickle of affection towards the Father, towards, towards the throne room. We, 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 we're living in a day and age at a, in an hour where we can't afford to warm ourselves up. We need to come in hot in the place of prayer. We can't afford to warm up. We need to come already warm. I read this uh, today, this morning. Any of you ever heard the book, Why Revival Tarries by Leonard Gravenhill? I highly recommend this, this, this book. It has been one of the most impactful books on my life, but I just wanna read this excerpt. No man is greater than his prayer life. The pastor who is not praying is playing. The people who are not praying are straying. The pulpit can be a shop window to display one's talents. The prayer closet, though, allows no showing off. Poverty stricken as the church is today, and this was written in the 1950s. As poverty stricken as the church is today, in many things, she is most stricken here in the place of prayer. We have many organizers, but few agonizers. Many players and payers, but few prayers, many singers, but few clingers, lots of pastors, but few wrestlers, many fears, but few tears, much fashion, but far too little passion, many interferers with few intercessors, many riders, but few fighters, failing here, we fail everywhere. The two prerequisites to successful Christian living are vision and passion, both of which are born and maintained in prayer. The ministry of preaching is open to few, but the ministry of prayer, the highest ministry of all human offices is open to all. You know, a vibrant prayer life is not based on a personality. It's not based on an office or your job occupation. Every single person in this room, whether you're a, a preacher, an accountant, a salesman, whatever you are, you are called to a life of vibrant prayer. Give yourself to the place of prayer. It is the highest of all offices. It's the most productive place we can be. So, This morning, I I wanna continue this series of praying people and and I wanna talk about delighting in prayer, delighting in prayer. I I really wanna talk about how do we go from discipline to delight? How do we go from a place of duty, discipline, routine to a place where prayer is actually enjoyable because I'm convinced that, that Jesus is the most enjoyable person on the planet. And if, if enjoyable prayer is sustainable prayer, I've learned if prayer is not enjoyable, it is most likely it will not be sustainable in my life. And so, and so my heart this morning is not just to really set your prayer life on fire. It's to help give you tools on really how to sustain a vibrant prayer life. It's one thing to burn for a week, but show me what that fire looks like 10 years from now. It's never in the nature of the Lord to shrink a flame. Flames should always keep growing and growing and, and burning. And I wanna be really practical with you today. I wanna give you some spiritual nuggets, but I also wanna be really practical and take you in really on my personal prayer life of, of, of where I've been. And, and it's not like your prayer life has to look like mine, but I think we can... Learn tools from each other. You know, the most impactful books in my life have been the books on revival history, on reading about how God touched certain men and women on the earth. What did they pray? What were their prayers like? What did they say? Prayers... Uh, from, from from, from Wesley saying, bend me, Lord, oh, bend me. It's like, what kind of place in the soul do you have to get to utter those words out of your mouth? What kind of spiritual poverty does that require to ask the Lord, bend my heart, bend my soul, take everything of me? So fire is contagious, fire is contagious. And really the goal of prayer is not simply trying harder. It's not exerting yourself more. The goal in prayer is beholding a person named Jesus. Prayer is a person. Prayer is a person. And the best definition I I can give of prayer, it's not simply talking to God, it's talking with God. Talking to God, it's a one-way street, but talking with God, it is dual communication. I'm ministering to you and heaven is coming down here. It is a two-way street. It's not simply talking to the Lord, it's talking with him. And I believe we, the Lord is really calling us to master the art of interaction with heaven, interaction with, with the Lord in heaven. And The goal is abiding with Jesus. It's looking at him. And how many of you have ever seen trees that are shouting at their branches, telling them to bear fruit? (laughs) I haven't seen that in my life. Bear fruit, bear fruit. No, their one goal is to abide and fruit comes out naturally. Our one purpose in prayer is to abide in him, look at him, stare at Jesus, tell him who he is and fruit will naturally come out of our lives. More happens in one hour of staring at Jesus than an entire day with our own giftings, our own talents and our own strengths. I believe we we are in desperate need in the earth right now for men and women who have been with God. We're in desperate need for men and women who are bathed with prayer, who, who are not caught up in their own bios or their own, their own talents or giftings, but are so obsessed with the man of Jesus. You know, much of the Western world, it's, it's a very results-oriented culture we live, live in. It's, it's all this pressure to, to do, to do, to do, it's this achiever mindset and it's it's beautiful. There's a place for it, uh, but more happens in the place of rest than anywhere else. Our greatest victories really come out of that place of rest and prayer. And I believe if we truly knew that we would fight for it more. And you know, typically the most accessible things to us are really the things that are most overlooked. Prayer, is so accessible to the church that it is easily overlooked. The things that are mo- most accessible to us are usually the things that are most overlooked. And, and at face value, prayer seems like the most unproductive activity. Like what? You're gonna sit around and look to G- look at him all day, well, do something, we got stuff to do, we got events to plan, we, we can't just do that. We gotta do the next thing at face value, it looks so unproductive. And I believe there is a difference between a church that prays and a praying church. I think those are two different things. A church that prays, I believe prayer is merely the side dish to the main dish, which could be the personality of the leadership. It could be, the events we host, it could be the conferences we do, it could be the sermons we do. All those are amazing things, however, they are not meant to be the main thing. They have a proper place, and the only way those things can have their proper place is if Jesus has his proper place. How does he get that? Through the place of prayer. The most, the way we can be a consistent place of presence is if we are the most consistent place of prayer. It's how we build a house of prayer. Consistent prayer leads to consistent presence, consistency. So a church that prays, it's it's the side dish, but a praying church, prayer is not just what we do. Prayer is who we are. It comes out of us. It's in our bridal DNA. It's not just something that happens once in a while. No, it's part. the Lord is really flipping the script in the coming days where the only churches that will survive is the praying church. The praying church. The praying church. church. And in Luke 21, 31, Jesus is giving an exhortation really on how things are going to heat up in the last days. We've already, we're already seeing a dress rehearsal for it right now with COVID and the wars and rumors of wars. They're talking about possibly World War Three happening. It's just, this stuff will be more and more common as we get closer and closer to the coming of Jesus. So Jesus gives us a recipe of how to handle these days, a medicine of what to do in the last days. So I'm gonna read Luke chapter 21, verse 31. It said, even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down by carousing drunkenness and the anxieties of life. And that day will close suddenly like a trap for it will come on all those who live on the face of the earth. Here it is, here's the the medicine. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen. So Jesus's medicine he gives for us in the end times is it's not go stock up on toilet paper and water bottles. (laughs) Although that might be beneficial. It's not see how many events you could put on the calendar. It's It's not see how much more busy you can get. It's this, watch and pray. Watch and pray. The great commodity that will navigate these turbulent days of the end times is a spirit of prayer resting on a people. What is the spirit of prayer? The spirit of prayer is when heaven begins saying yes to what you're saying. See the fruit of intimacy with the Lord in prayer, the fruit of intimacy is impregnation. It's impregnation. His burdens become my burdens. I don't know if you've realized this parents, but it's really difficult to get pregnant by just holding hands. <laughs> There's an intimacy that takes place in the place of prayer. Our burdens become his burdens. We begin praying what's on his heart and heaven stamps. It's amen with our amen. That is the spirit of prayer resting on a people. Get a spirit of prayer, store oil. Store oil. Store oil. Prayer teaches prayer. You want to hear something so deep? I know it's so deep. Prayer teaches prayer. Really. Uh, the best way to grow in prayer is by praying. I know that's the deepest thing you'll hear all day. <laughs> prayer teaches prayer. It's the most effective way to grow in prayer is by praying. See, this season, I have listened to more sermons on prayer than ever before. I've read so many books on prayer. Prayer is just coming out my ears right now. And it should, we should do these things. However, we will not be successful in the the place of prayer by merely hearing about it. By merely reading about it, the only way you will be successful in the place of prayer is going alone, shutting your door and being alone and talking to him. There's no formula. Go be with him, go talk to him. That's, that's it. That's the way you will grow a prayer life. Prayer teaches prayer. See, prayer is not this robotic mechanical list we get through. I see prayer more as a, a river that we navigate. And the only way we will learn to navigate a river is by just jumping in the river. (laughs) Jump in the river of prayer. Learn His ways. You'll you'll get alone with Him, and maybe the first day I don't know I don't know what what I'm doing. And the second day, but keep at it, and you're like, oh, the river's taking me here. Oh, now I'm at Psalms 91. Oh, now I'm gonna pray in tongues. Oh, you'll learn the river. You'll learn the river. See, Pastor David can't lay hands on me and impart his prayer life. That would be amazing. I would love that. But he can't. There's many things that can be imparted through laying on of hands, but a prayer life is not one of them. He can't lay hands on me and impart his intimacy with Jesus. Only he will be able to take that before heaven. I can't lease his anointing. Build a prayer life. Build a prayer life. The fire of God, I learned in my life, it's it's not a luxury, but it's a responsibility. It's something that I steward. It's something that I that I tend to. I, I, I at, at this age, I realize there's too much at stake. I can't afford one day with a cold heart towards Jesus. I can't afford it. I, I need. I need him to light me on fire. He is the great high priest. I am not the great high priest. So, your job is not to light yourself on fire. It's to stay on the altar as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice. It's his responsibility to set you on fire. It's your responsibility to stay dead on the altar. Dead wood burns. Every time have you ever seen a fireplace? It's dead wood. Dead wood burns. Stay on the altar. Vibrant prayer lives, I learned they don't come by chance. You see people that have great anointings and great, you hear them pray and it's like, oh my gosh, how did that happen? It's not like heaven just rolled the dice and gave that to them. They sought it out. (laughs) And this is available for everyone. Vibrant prayer lives, they're available for every single person In this room, and I believe in this hour, God is not looking for those who are most talented or those who are most gifted. He's looking for those who say yes most consistently to his face. He's looking for the yes. We've had talent. Talent and gifting are amazing. However, if there's not the kiss of heaven on it, I don't want it. Give me purity over gifting any day. I'll take it. I don't care what it sounds like. If it's pure, I want it. So contending for a, a culture of prayer, it's, it's not a luxury for us as a house, it's a responsibility. I just wanna give you a measure of this responsibility as Pastor David says, bear the weight of glory as the carriers of the ark. Everyone in this room, we are carriers of the glory. Ian Bounds said this, no erudition, no purity of diction, no width of mental outlook, no flowers of eloquence, no grace of Person can atone for a lack of fire. Prayer ascends by fire. Flame gives prayer access as well as wings, acceptance as well as energy. There is no incense without fire, no prayer without flame. There's another quote. There was a man named Martin Booz. He led a revival in Germany and it was said of this. Before the great revival broke out martin Booz spent hours and days and often nights in lonely agonies of intercession after when he preached his words were as flame in the hearts of the people as grass it's the flame of prayer how many of you are uh rockers when you pray (laughs) i call them holy rockers yeah (laughs) i'm a i'm a rocker when i pray I realized this as I researched. Um, this is actually a, a, a prophetic act. So it's something called davening. And King David uh, speaks of this in the Psalms as, as he would meditate on scripture. He would lean back and forth. And if you see videos of Jews at the Wailing Wall, you'll see them going back and forth. And it's really a practice called davening. And one Jewish literature, literature piece says that davening occurs because you are mimicking a flame on a wick on a candle. And when you are engaging with heaven, it is the very vehicle that lights your soul on fire. So this is not just religious repetition. This is, oh Jesus, burn in my heart, burn in my soul. Lord, I thank you, light me on fire. I'm not suggesting you have to do that, but it might be a good idea. <laughs> Let's try it. See, the things uh, the things that we are most known for will be the things that are most contested in our lives. What are we known for? We're known for a presence center. We're known for a house of prayer, house of presence. Those, I'm just saying this to be sober, those must be contended for daily. The things in our life that are most, that we're most known for or reputable for will be the most contested because the enemy hates that it's happening. It's like, it reminds me of when Jesus addressed the church of Sardis in Revelation two or three. And he he says this to them, he says, you're known, you have a reputation for being alive, but really you're dead. I can't think of anything more, more painful to hear that, that Jesus is telling this church that, hey, your, your, your Instagram bio says you're alive. Your website says you're alive. Your, 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 your language is the right language. You have the right stuff. But when I cut you open to the core and look at what's really going on in here, it is not measuring up to the reputation around you. And it's very possible for that to happen. May it never happen here, though. How do we stop that from happening? Keep yourself on the altar. Keep the fire burning, dead wood burns. May we be professionals at dying to ourselves. Keep the fire burning. Keep the fire burning. So, you know me, if you've heard me preach for the last three years, I like to, to uh, form my sermons in parts of three. So I wanna give you three, three, three really keys, tools to delighting in prayer, to making prayer a delight for you. So the, the first one is this. Delightful prayer is birthed from persistence and friendship. Delightful prayer is birthed from persistence And friendship. So let's open our Bibles and make this an official sermon here. (laughs) Uh, Let's open to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. And I'm going to read in verse 5. So uh, Pastor David taught last week on the Lord's Prayer. So when you're reading scripture, it's so important to understand what takes place before and after the scripture you're reading. So what I'm about to read right now is what happens, what Jesus says directly after that Lord's prayer of teach us to pray. And so to really get the context of the Lord's prayer, we must understand what it's sandwiched between. (laughs) So before the Lord's prayer, we get this story that I I read last time I, I spoke of Mary and Martha. And I like to call this the intimacy story because it's about, it's about looking at him. He rebukes Martha for her busyness, for being distracted. And he defends Mary sitting at his feet. And I, I believe this, this speaks a lot. It sets up the context or the building blocks for Jesus's teaching on the Lord's prayer. In other words, I believe G, what Jesus is saying is this friendship with Jesus is the atmosphere where vibrant prayer is birthed? I want to say that again. Friendship with Jesus is the atmosphere where vibrant prayer is birthed. See when when uh, the Bible was written, the chapters were written without chapter breaks. It was written it was written to be read in one entire setting. So the author Luke is giving us this with intentionality of, I want you to see what it's like beholding Jesus. Now I wanna teach you how to pray from that place of loving Jesus. And now I wanna read you Luke chapter 11, verse five. Says this, he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight. So notice at midnight, speaking of uh, costliness, speaking of inconvenience, Speaking of, uh, you know, this is not easy prayer. This is inconvenience. And says to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I don't have anything to offer him. Then he will answer from inside and say, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I have gone to bed. I can't get up to give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't give up and give him anything because he is his friend, Yet because of his persistence, he will give up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, keep asking and it will be given to you. Keep searching and you will be find, keep knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who searches finds and to one who knocks, the door will be open. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? See, the, the core themes of this answered prayer is friendship and persistence. You know, if you've ever been to a lunch or dinner with someone, you go out to eat, you sit down for a meal. How many of you know the meal is not the goal, the person is the goal that you're connecting with. The meal is merely the vehicle that gets you to the goal, which is to know the person more. And I wanna suggest that prayer is not the end goal. Jesus is the end goal. Prayer is that meal that we eat that takes us to the person of Jesus. It's intimacy with him. Prayer is not the goal. Jesus is the goal. Prayer is the thing that gets us to Jesus. Many people are more in love with the idea of prayer than they are with the person that prayer should be leading them to. It's unto a person, it's unto him. So this story reminds me of one other story when uh, Jesus is at a wedding, they run out of wine. His mama comes to him and says, they're, they're out of wine. And he's like, what, why is that my problem? <laughs> and she does something that we can easily overlook. She, I like to say, cashes in on her equity of relationship with him and asks a second time. Friendship and persistence. And guess what? He does the miracle. But he said, my time has not yet come. But he still does it anyway. And I believe these stories reveal something so special to us. It reveals a praying that we can have access to that brings in today what God had reserved for tomorrow. He's giving us a glimpse of the type of praying he wants us to partake in. Getting today what he had reserved for another time. See, many of us, we have this mentality of prayer that it's really just soaking in a holy hot tub all day and not doing anything. And there are seasons for that. I know, that sounds awesome, I want one. There are seasons for that. And I love those seasons, but he also says the kingdom of God suffers violence. And it's the violent that take it by force. See where King David stumbled is, he was lounging in a season that required warfare. Don't be caught in your holy hot tub when the Lord has asked you to be in the battlefield. That's how sin seeps in, that's how temptation comes. That is a dangerous place. Stay in the battle. Stay in the battle. So friendship and persistence equals answered prayer friendship without persistence is unanswered prayer persistence without friendship is unanswered prayer however the two together create this like heavenly combustion of answered prayer in our lives and we see this with king david in his life he he did something so unprecedented and he experienced a new testament reality in an old testament age in that in that age everyone's access to the lord was based on blood of of animals and yet david's hunger and his friendship he in a way he cashed in on his equity of friendship with the lord and his hunger to provoke what was intended for the new testament to come to the lord freely and it brought it in and thrusted it directly into his old testament era That is what happens when friendship and persistence come together. Getting today what heaven planned tomorrow. The Lord is in a way giving you an invitation to disrupt heaven's calendar. Dallas doesn't need revival next year, it needs it now. I don't need that job tomorrow, I need it now. I don't need that next week or next month. It has to come today. Lord, you said, remember when you t- remember our friendship, remember what we've been through, remember our history. I'm going to ask and keep asking. I'm going to seek and keep seeking. And I'm going to bombard heaven until I walk away with a limp. Amen. Persistence. Change heaven's calendar. Cash in on your equity of friendship with him. You know, I've, I've become increasingly aware of not what happens when I pray, but what happens when I don't pray. Wow. James 4.2, you can put that up. says, you desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have you do not ask. Can we say that together, that last part? You do not have because you do not ask. Say it one more time. You do not have because you do not ask. Prayerlessness creates lack. Prayerlessness is costly. See, I don't believe this scripture is just merely telling us that you miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. I believe it's saying that, but I believe there's a deeper, deeper revelation in this that when you don't pray or have this lack of prayer in your life, there's actually this spiritual deficit and bankruptcy and barrenness that starts growing in your soul. You don't have. You're lacking because you don't ask. You're barren because you're not praying. Ask and you'll be filled. Ask and you shall receive. Jesus said in Matthew twenty six forty one, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I am most vulnerable to sin and temptation when I am most cold in the place of prayer. Prayerlessness is costly. If prayerfulness keeps me from temptation, then prayerlessness makes me vulnerable to temptation. It's time we build equity in heaven. I've heard it said before that many people have no interest in heaven because they have so little invested there. It's time we make investment in eternity. (laughs) Invest in eternity, invest in gold, buy oil from him, buy gold from heaven. I'm speaking in analogies, of course, but buy gold from Jesus in the place of prayer. Those are the only things we'll be able to take that will survive the fire when we stand before him. It's not our jobs, our accomplishments. It's what did we build in the prayer room? Live with eternity in mind when you pray. Live with eternity in mind. So the second thing is number two, pray with protocol. See, I I don't believe the Lord's prayer is this literal prayer we must pray every day. I believe it's more so a blueprint or a set of values that should shape our daily prayer. So the first line of the Lord's prayer is our father, hallowed be your name. So notice the first line of the Lord's prayer is about acknowledging who he is and where he is. Amen. Notice, in other words, the Lord's prayer begins with worshiping his name, not exalting my need. His name comes first. In other words, I, I, when I come to be with him, I always want the master to feed on my worship before I feed from the master's hand. The master should always be served before I get served. And Pastor Bill Johnson, he always taught us that if he has an hour to pray, he will spend 45 of those minutes in worship and the last 15 minutes going through his prayer list. Why? Because if if I go to the Lord first with my needs and my prayer list, it's like, I'm kind of hitting the ceiling, nothing's nothing's really happening. But if I go with awareness, it's almost like a boiling point of heaven and begin exalting who he is and loving him, then I have this boiling point of prayer. And then finally, when I get to my list, my list doesn't even look as big as it did when I first started, because he took care of it. (laughs) Serve him, serve him, serve him. It's interesting, the third line of the Lord's prayer It says, give us each day our daily bread. Speaking of dependence, and I find it really uh, fascinating that he wants us to ask for things that we know we're probably going to get whether or not we pray. How many times have you recently asked the Lord for your lunch you're going to eat today? He wants dependence. And I found in my life, it's so fruitful when I start asking God for things I know I'm going to get. Why? In Ezekiel, it says, pray for rain in the day of latter rain. Pray for rain in the day that it's raining. Why would I do that? (laughs) It's about dependence. And I just, I like to keep both of my, I like to pray for the things I know I'm gonna get. I, pray, I like to pray for the things I know that are not gonna happen unless a miracle comes. And I just like to have both these plates of prayer spinning before the throne room and keep them spinning before heaven to, to show dependency to him. He wants a relationship. And um, a little bit of my, my personal journey with prayer. You know, I grew up most of my life, all my life with a deep passion for God. I always loved God. Always loved his presence. He marked me when I was really young and I always had this passion. But it, when it come to the place of prayer, especially as a teenager, I would have seasons where I would just feel heaven so vibrantly and then little by little that season would just wane off and I would come to the place of prayer and I would just leave so devastated because it was almost like I hit a concrete wall. Anyone ever been there? And it was so it was so depressing to me. It got to the point of depressing because I love the Lord so much. And it's almost like I ended up subconsciously avoiding prayer because I was afraid of going there and having just another unfruitful experience. Anyone ever been there? And uh, the best illustration I can give to this is Chris he's our He was our overseer at our Bible school. And he shared something. He, when, when he would walk through the hallways of, of the school, He would walk through and students would really ignore him every time he walked through. And you know, he's the overseer and he would look to say hi and they would kind of look and go the other way. And he was kind of feeling really bad about this. And the Lord told him this. He said, these students aren't rejecting you because they don't like you. They're rejecting you because they value you so much to the point that their value for you is so high that the fear of looking at you and saying hello and you not saying hello back and ignoring them is so great that they are choosing to reject you before you can reject them I'm rejecting if that's happened to me in the place of prayer I value the Lord I value this place of prayer so much however I was so fearful of not getting something that I was subconsciously saying, I'm going to reject that place before that place can reject me. I believe this can happen to, to a lot of us. And if I could go back and talk to myself 10 years ago, I would tell myself that your prayer life now is not an indication of what it will be like in the future. And that's what I want to tell you. Your prayer life now, just keep at it. If you're hitting a wall, keep hitting that wall. It'll break down eventually. Your prayer life now is not indicative of what it will be like in the future. So, you know, growing up, especially as a teenager, I lived in a very fragile mental state. It was very emotional. I dealt with a lot of anxiousness and depression and my emotions were, were just like this. I always say, Emily is like the, the stable emotional one and I'm the one that's like like this sometimes. <laughs> and so... Uh, Growing up, I was just very prone to going down a pathway of of anxiety and depression and all that. And the best way I can illustrate this is, if you imagine a forest, imagine your mind is a forest and science actually is, is validating this and it's something called neuropathways. And I love it when the Bible validates science. So your mind, picture it as this forest. And in my mind, when I was a teenager, in this forest of my mind, I had on the right this five-laned highway that led to anxiety, depression, torment, and I could go down. It was just easy. It was easy access, five-lane highway. And on the left, I had this small, tiny little path covered in trees and bushes on my pathway to hope, freedom, peace, and joy. So anytime, I don't know, something happens, someone may have said something to me that they didn't even mean, and I just took it to heart. It was easier to go down this path. It was just I've been going down that my whole life and it took an intentional effort to plow through and go this other way. And you know, there were seasons where I would go to youth conferences or something and you know the Lord would really clear this path out for me. It'd be really easy. And then I didn't have the wherewithal within me to, to maintain this path. So eventually I'm going back here. When I was about, I don't know, twenty one years old. I had the most radical encounter with the Lord that I've ever had in my life. And it was almost like he set this nuclear bomb on this pathway to his presence, this pathway of peace, joy, freedom. And I would go down it every day. It lasted for about six months. And little by little, life just started happening. Disappointment, discouragement, loss, just pain happens in life. And and I remember one day waking up and... I felt like, okay, it's over. That season's over. I'm going to just wait for my next encounter. I'm going to wait for my next prophetic word. I'm, I'm going to lay in bed today and just wait. This is a sad day. I'm just going to wait. <laughs> I know. It's a pity party at its finest. <laughs> yeah, we've all been there. <laughs> so I was actually listening to a sermon by Pastor Bill Johnson and Jesus speaks through pastors, and so I heard him say this he said, he said, "You are responsible for your own mental health. He said, Stop waiting on your next prophetic word, stop waiting on your next encounter, get up and get in the place of prayer and this thing this this otherworldly thing just rose up in me, and i I could see every prophetic word I've ever been given. And the Lord almost saying, these words are contingent on how you respond to me in the place of prayer. Take responsibility. So I got up and didn't feel like it, didn't feel anything. And I didn't know where to start. I was like, okay, I know First Timothy says, use your prophetic words as weapons to wage warfare. So I'm going through warfare right now. So I think that might be a good idea. So, I have my, my my most radical encounters, prophetic words recorded on my phone. So I got my earphones in and I listened to them. I listened to the one, the, the, the word I got when I was seven years old. I listened to it. Oh, wow. It's not enough to just listen to it once. I need to listen to it again. Oh, oh, oh. I remember. Yes, I remember. And then I listened to the, the time he marked me when I was 15 in the youth conference. Oh, Oh my gosh, remember how sweet your presence was. I remember Jesus. And then I would listen to the one when he marked me when I was 21. Oh my goodness. I have history with you. I have history with you. See, if you make history with God, he will make history through you. So it wasn't enough just to listen to it. I started, I felt this urge in me. I need to say this out loud. I need to pray this back to him. It says angels respond. They give heed to the word of the Lord. They act. They they understand there's a scent or a fragrance on these words. They recognize that this originated with the throne room, so we must act on it. So I didn't just listen to it, I began praying it. Lord, I thank you, you said this over me. Thank you for that time you touched my soul when I was so dead, thank you. Over and over, saying it out loud, and little by little, the darkness was lifting. So I I said these prophetic words, and then I began thanking him. Have you know, thanksgiving and praise are the most consistent ways to getting an audience with God. So Lord, thank you for that encounter. Thank you that you touched me like that. And Lord, I make agreement with who you are. You are perfect, and I... I wouldn't just tell him that he was perfect. I was trying to be so specific. Lord, how are you perfect? Your voice is perfect. How you speak to my soul is perfect. Your hand is perfect because your hand touches me. Try to be as specific as you can. So much power happens when you pray God's word back to him. Get your encounters, get your prophetic words and talk to God about them. I know that sounds so elementary, but do it. It'll give you so much breakthrough. So. Thanksgiving and praise. And after I got through with that, I felt like I just plowed through this path that was once so difficult. And so I woke up the next day, there was the darkness again looming over me. Okay, I'm going at this again. Let me listen to my prophecies. I need to listen to again. Okay, two times, three times, four times. You to pray them out loud. It was almost like he had me in a, in a ministry school alone in my apartment in McKinney. And then I would go through and I would plow my way out in the darkness would leave. And then the next day, the next day, the next day until I woke up two months later, the, the first day of the month to the day, I woke up and there was no more darkness. And I realized that that five-lane path had gotten so small (laughs) and now I had a five-lane highway to his presence (laughs) to his presence to peace to joy Philippians 4 says rejoice in the Lord always I'll say it again rejoice the Lord is near do not be anxious about anything but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Prayer is the plow that pushes you to a place of mental health. Prayer was the plow that pushed me. So these are just some keys that helped me. uh, Your prophetic words, thanksgiving and praise, your history with God. These are gems that I forever use every single day of my life. That That what I built right there with the Lord, I use it every day. It didn't stop. I, the first place I go to when I go to pray, I, I can't afford my heart to be cold. I have to listen to what he said about me when I was seven years old, when I was 15. I have to keep it fresh in my heart. I can't afford to have one day. There's too much at stake on the earth. Freedom. I, I, I can't afford to have a thought about me in my head that he doesn't have about me in his head. I, I can't afford it. So, I don't know if I hit on this, but praying the word of God, I can't emphasize how important it is to pray the word. Ian Bounds said, the word of God is the food by which prayer is nourished. The word of God is the food by which prayer is nourished. So, Pastor Bill taught us, if you're in a dark time, read the Psalms until you find your voice in the Psalms. Any season I'm in, I I can always find a psalm that resonates, that I connect with in that season. Psalms 91, for example, it's just a highly quoted psalm. And what's beautiful, I think why we love it is because it has myriads of promises. There's so many promises that, that we get from this psalm. However, we forget that Psalms 91 is a conditional psalm. What is the condition? What's the first word in that psalm? he who dwells gets all this we don't just get it if we're not gonna dwell it's a conditional psalm he who dwells in the secret place will get all these rewards the moment you leave the secret place you are vulnerable to darkness stay in the protection of the secret place last thing I want to say in the I, I'll close with this. We could get keys up. Number three is pray with a price. Pray with a price. And my favorite scripture in all of the Bible, really, on, on prayer has to be 1 Samuel chapter 1. This is uh, Hannah. She's uh, very much an overlooked person in the Bible, but... Her prayer birthed a prophet named Samuel that anointed King David who would pave the way for the Messiah to sit on his throne. This woman in hiddenness, hidden prayer, she she's probably more famous in heaven than she was on earth. But she prays for a son. I want to read this in 1 Samuel chapter 1. There was a man from Rama, I'm not gonna try that in the hill country of Ephraim. Rama, Rama, something. I tried. I was like, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna mess that up. I'm not gonna act like I know that word. You know, sometimes preachers act like they know the pronunciation, and it's like, no, that's not it. There was a man from a place in the hill country of Ephraim. His name was Elkanah son of Jerohoam, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of... Okay, let's just go on. <laughs> he had two wives, the first named Hannah, the second, Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah was childless. This man would go from his town every year to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, I'm working today. We're, we're the Lord's priest. Whenever Elkanah offered a sacrifice, he always gave portions of the meat to his wife and to each of her sons and daughters, but he gave a double portion to Hannah for he loved her even though the Lord had kept her from conceiving or closed her womb and her rival would taunt her severely just to provoke her because the Lord had kept Hannah from conceiving. Whenever she went up to the Lord's house, her rival taunted her and the This way every year, Hannah wept and would not eat. Hannah, why are you crying? Her husband said, why won't you eat? Why are you troubled? Am I not better than your 10 sons? Hannah got up after they ate and drank. Eli, the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost. You never know who's watching when you're praying desperate prayers. The priest was watching. Says deeply hurt. Hannah prayed to the Lord, deeply hurt. Hannah prayed to the Lord. Deeply hurt, Hannah prayed to the Lord. See, pain will will either push us from his presence or to his presence in a deeper way. It's, It's gasoline on the flame of prayer in our lives. Pain, pain, if we funnel it correctly. It's gasoline on the fire of prayer. She wept with many tears. Making a vow, she pleaded, Lord of hosts, if you will take notice of your servant's affliction, remember and not forget me, give your servant a son. I'll give him to the Lord all the days of his life. His hair will never be cut. While she was praying in the Lord's presence, Eli watched her lips. Hannah was speaking to herself and although her lips were moving, her voice could not be heard. Eli thought she was drunk and scolded her. How long are you gonna be drunk? Get rid of your wine. No, my Lord, Hannah replied, I am a woman with a broken heart. I haven't had any wine or beer. I've been pouring out my heart before the Lord. Don't think of me as a wicked woman. I've been praying from the depth of my anguish and resentment. Eli responded, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant you the petition. So verse five says, the Lord kept her from conceiving. In in other words, what I believe God was doing was eliminating all of Hannah's options so that he would be her only option. So that when you do get the breakthrough, your breakthrough will not become God to you. See, I've learned in my life, when the Lord is setting me up for my greatest answered prayer, he will typically begin by removing all my options from me. He will cut away and purge my heart from hoping and trusting and anything that isn't him. There's a story of a man, uh, his name was George Quam, and he got in an accident when he was seven years old. He lost his hand in a train accident, and he had this athletic drive to him. He loved sports, so he took up this sport called handball. If you hear the title handball you would think you would need both your hands to play this this sport he only had one hand and George Quam ended up being the best handball player in the nation's history he didn't lose a match he won every championship and he had an invitation to the White House to meet with President Herbert Hoover and he had this quote said, handball has been the vehicle by which I won my way out of darkness and despair. I don't believe that having one hand has been a handicap. Everyone is given more natural ability, equipment, and talent than we will ever use. Success is not going to be determined by what you have to work with, but how you use what you have. True prayer begins where we end. Deeply hurt. Hannah prayed to the Lord. He became her only option. See, anytime disappointment comes, there's always an invitation or pain comes. There's an invitation that Hannah could have had to reduce her revelation of the goodness of God down to her own lack of breakthrough. We always have that option. He he, he puts two trees in the garden of our hearts. Which one will we choose? And she chose to funnel this pain to the place of prayer. It says while she was praying, Eli watched her lips. Hannah was speaking to herself, although her lips were moving, her voice could not be heard. When you are expressing your need to God, it's not about how loudly you say it, but it's about how deeply you pray it. It's about digging in, getting all these emotions, oh, let me, let me funnel this. Let it be gasoline to my prayer life. It's, it's not just something I, I stuff down deep. This will take me to a deeper place of his presence. See, there are depths and realms of the presence of God that can be found only through the place of the valley of shadows. There are depths and realms of his presence, of his face, that we can only find through the place of darkness. Counted a blessing when God becomes your only option. The loudest prayer in heaven was the most silent prayer on earth. Her lips moved, but no one heard it. Hannah prayed with a price that marked heaven. I always like to, to say this, that her deep matched heaven's deep. See, in heaven, God wanted to birth a prophet on the earth. On earth, Hannah wanted to birth a son. Her deep desire got so deep that it matched the frequency of heaven's deep and this convergence happened in eternity that birthed her prayer, that birthed the prophet who would anoint David, who who would pave the way for the son of God to sit on his throne to come through his lineage. This little old woman had such a loud prayer in eternity. You know, in Proverbs it says, It's the glory of God to hide a matter. And it's the glory of kings to search the matter out. We were in San Francisco about 2015. My parents, it was when Emily and I were looking at Bethel. We went to Reading to see if this is where we wanted to go. And we decided to go to San Francisco with my parents. They're here, right here on the front row. And uh, we were on on this like, I don't know, bus that was gonna take us back to our car. And Emily had her phone in her back pocket of her her backpack. And there was this man on this bus that he looked very homeless. He just looked just ragged and just looked like, you know, just a homeless guy. And he got up and got really close to Emily. It was really weird. And then he just darted off the bus and we got off the bus and we realized that he had stolen Emily's phone from her. And so we're just like, okay, I mean, the phone's gone. We're in San Francisco. We've never been here before. And so this waitress was just getting off work and she agreed to help us. I had Emily sign in to find my iPhone app and we could actually track where the guy was. It's really cool. And there was an invitation though, to just settle though. <laughs> to just be like you know, it's gone. This, this dude's probably crazy. Let's, you know, but we chose the pursuit. So Emily and I followed this waitress and She finally took us to where the guy was. And I'm like, wow, this is actually happening. He's right here. And I'm like, okay, Emily, let's wait for my parents. They were kind of behind. I'm like, let's, we don't know if he has a gun or a knife. But Emily, being the Puerto Rican Hispanic woman she is, did not have the spirit of fear on her life. She did not listen to the man of God that was beside her she just went up and said, excuse me, sir, you know, in her pretty face, I think you have my phone, and he said, no, I don't, I don't have your phone, she says, yeah, you have my phone, no, I don't have your phone, he's, yes, sir, you have my phone, I, I saw you take it, he starts shouting at us, cursing at us, no, I didn't take anything, I don't have your phone, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about, and, and he starts walking across the street and we, we think he's gone and finally my mom and dad come up and Emily says, You know, that's so sad. I was praying for him on the bus before he took my phone. In my head, I was just thinking, Lord touch him, Lord bless him, Lord, Lord touch this man. And in that moment we thought all hope was lost. And my mother, something all I can say is something came out of her that was otherworldly. I'm <laughs> and I'm, I'm being funny, but I'm being serious. There's something in her that I hadn't seen since I was like 10 years old getting spanked. <laughs> she steps across the street and shouts, she was praying for you. And it's almost like the man hit a brick wall. He stopped, he turned back and he came walking towards us and he put his hand in his, his bag and I'm thinking he's gonna pull out a gun. And here, he takes her phone out and says, you better be glad you were praying for me. And he had tears in his eyes and he left and well, he didn't leave. I was, we, we looked at the phone and we realized he took her case, her phone case. And I was like, give her her case back, man. I was, I was, you know, I believe there are certain answers to prayer that are buried and hidden so deeply in eternity that they can only be brought out through desperation. Through shouting, through desperate prayers, there are, there are, there, there, there is an invitation for us to settle. Have we leaned into the injustice and said, "No, I will not settle for this." He took something that is mine. I'm gonna go get it. No, I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna ask again. I'm gonna ask again. I'm gonna ask again until I get it. If I have to shout, I'm gonna shout. I may be an introvert, but I'm gonna shout. until I get what they took from me, until I get what I want, until I get what's mine, until I get what's in my account into my possession. (laughs) Refuse to settle for the dissatisfaction of unanswered prayer. Refuse to settle for the dissatisfaction. Dig deep into the heart sickness of your life and let that produce a prayer in you that you would never have gotten without it. We cannot be passive. We cannot sit in our holy hot tubs. We must get really, really gnarly with him in the place of prayer. Like Hannah did, let the intensity of what you're facing determine the intensity of how you pray. If you're willing to live off token answers, then offer token prayers. But if you're facing a Red Sea moment, you need to dig in a little bit. Prayers that don't move us won't move him. He will move as far as you move. He will move as far as you move. Get alone, bombard heaven until you feel resolved. I want us to get in a posture of prayer, but as we're doing that, I just wanna read this one last thing. It was said of Catherine Coleman, she manifested the power of the Holy Spirit wherever she went. No matter how large or how small a building was, sinner or saint always knew when Miss Coleman entered the building because the whole atmosphere seemed to change. Her life was a commitment to prayer. Traveling constantly, she prayed continuously. Before her meetings, her staff relates that Ms. Coleman could be seen pacing back and forth, head up, head down, arms flung in the air, hands clasped behind her back with face covered in tears. And Oral Roberts tells us that the intensity of her prayers, it was like they were talking back and forth to each other. And you couldn't tell where Catherine started and the Holy Spirit left off. It was oneness. I want us to all just get in a place of prayer, if that's on your knees, if it's against the wall, if it's make your own tent of meeting right now. Make your own tent of meeting. And I want, I want us to allow the emotions that you're feeling, the, the pain, the heart sickness of unanswered prayer, dig deep into it. Take a moment, dig, dig deep into the heart sickness of your life and begin crying out from that depth of anguish, that depth of pain. It said when Jesus was in Gethsemane, In his agony, he prayed more earnestly. So Lord, in our agony, in our pain, we pray with greater fervency, with greater fire. Lord, we refuse to settle for the barrenness of unanswered prayer. Lord, you said ask and keep asking. So Lord, we are asking, we're bombarding heaven with costly praying, with costly prayers. And Lord, we pray for heaven to come, heaven to come, heaven to come. In Jesus' name, let's take a few moments. Let's lift our voices. Let's lift our voices all over this room. Thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church.